Today's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south of the road that goes down to Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to his chariot and join it. So Philip ran and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you were reading? He replied, how can I unless if someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb was silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth, and his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can grant, who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom may I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this road scripture, he proclaimed the, the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is prevent me from being baptized? What? He commanded the chariot to stop. Both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went his way to rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he was past, no more um, passing through the region, proclaimed the good news about the towns and came to Caesarea. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much. It's all yours. That was great. Thank you so much. Can you hear me all right in the back? It is, a, it is a joy to be here. I was ready to be all informal this morning, and then I heard the practicing of the beautiful organ music and the trumpet, and I heard there was going to be a special reader, and I thought, i got to get dressed up for this. So I put on the robe. If you don't do no robes normally, forgive me. This is, this is free extra time for the old pastor. I'm delighted to be asked to be a guest preacher Sorry for the occasion for it, but it is, a, it is a gift to retired pastors to be able to be guest preacher here and there. First, you get to see a variety of congregations, and this is a great, friendly, welcoming congregation. It's exciting to, be, to see such a friendly welcome, to see people actually not just sitting in the back in August. You have people all ready and eager, so many people, most churches are struggling to have five or six people in August. 
It's the time the pastors all wonder whether anyone will ever come back to church, whether we'll be alone indefinitely. That's the, the ghost of pastors past. <laughs> Speaking of pastors past, it's a special gift to be in this congregation. Not only have I had the good fortune to meet Pastor Julie, but I noticed from the website that the previous two pastors were people I knew and quite well. Brian Neville was my successor at the Toms River Church. I was there as associate pastor in uh, the, the late 2000s, and he came in and cleaned up the mess that I left. <laughs> he was a great youth pastor then, and the associate, and people loved him so much, and that's what I really wanted to be when I grew up. When I, when I got to be a good pastor, I wanted to be like that. And then I found out the pastor before him was Frank Kowar, who I also knew well. We served on the board together of RISE, which is a service project of people, churches from all over New Jersey going up to upstate New York to help make houses safer and warmer and, and rebuild, rebuild decks and rampways for people to get in and have access to their homes. And I, I got to know Frank well in those days, and it turned out his in-laws were long, long time members of my church in Sussex. Uh, and they were married together for 77 years. Uh, and uh, the husband is still alive, I believe. And so it's exciting to be here in that continuation of that apostolic tradition uh, and to be part of a good series of heroes to be like. And then I find out that the sermon series is on heroes of the faith. And that was inspiring to me because we take heart in times of trouble and times of difficulty, and times when we're just worried or feeling down from remembering the people we admire, the people whose work gives us hope, the people in the church who inspire us as a church family, who take care of us when we are going through times that are heavy on our hearts, who help us out when we feel lonely, welcome us when we feel not welcome other places, Treat us as family. And so we come to another hero of the faith that's not as well known as Paul or Mary or Peter or any of the other giants of the faith. His name is Philip. Philip. Now you can't tell immediately just from the passage we read which Philip this is. There are several Philips. There was the Apostle Philip. Philip was also one of the deacons that was chosen by the apostles to wait the tables, to serve the, the widows and the orphans, to help moderate difficulties in the church, to help spread the good news. And if I've thought for years you couldn't tell it all, but if you look back a, a chapter or so, you can find that this was probably the Philip in this passage, was one of the deacons. And we don't know anything about him except right around this passage. Philip was chosen for a limited role, but became a very important person, a very important hero of the faith. He was among those helping to serve people who were in need, help make sure that everybody got enough food, help spread the word around Jerusalem because everyone was teaching about Jesus in Jerusalem after the resurrection, and the church was growing fast. Everybody was excited. Everybody was having a wonderful time. The numbers grew and grew and grew until Stephen, one of the deacons, 
decided he was going to preach a real firebrand sermon. And he stood up in the crowds and got everybody mad. Have you ever heard a sermon that got everybody mad? Not here. In America, though, if, if, if a sermon makes you really mad, people will sometimes quit. Nobody drags the pastor out to the front and kills him by stoning him. That's what happened to Stephen. People were so mad that he was preaching that there was no need for a temple, that Jesus was bringing new good news. They dragged him out front. They were so mad, they all grabbed rocks and they stoned him. They threw stones at him until it killed him. In fact, there was a young man there who approved of all that. His name was Saul. And he becomes famous in the later part of the book because he had his own personal encounter with Jesus that changed his whole life around. But at that point, he thought that guy got what he deserved. And that raised up a lot of outrage among the authorities. And so they started to round up these new Christian leaders, these troublemakers, these people causing difficulties wherever they went. And so the church scattered. The church was dispersed. They said, for safety, everybody get out of town except the apostles. The apostles should stay here to be the anchor of the church. So they went into hiding in Jerusalem and everybody else cleared out. Philip went north, north to Samaria. Because what did Jesus say to the apostles that they should do? You'll preach, you'll be my representatives, first in Jerusalem, then in Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. So he went to Samaria and preached there and had great success. And then he moved on to different places. He kept finding himself in different places. The Spirit said, go south toward Gaza. The Gaza Strip is the little area of land between the Holy Land Israel and Judea and Egypt. It's the road to Egypt and from there on to the north coast of Africa or south into Ethiopia. And he was going along the windy trade route called the King's Highway. And he was walking as most people did. Most people who didn't have a lot of money would walk wherever they went. He was walking along and he came across someone riding in a chariot. Not a war chariot. You stood up in a war chariot. He was riding, so it was a, a small vehicle, two-wheeled two vehicle, and he was reading. How did he know he was reading? Because in those days, it never occurred to anybody that you could read without moving your lips. Everybody read out loud. Even more than 100 years later, St. Augustine remarked about somebody famous that he had heard uh, that had, was able to read silently. He couldn't imagine such a thing, so he went to see this famous saint and watch him read silently. Everybody read out loud. This man was in a chariot reading. It was obviously somebody with a lot of money, somebody who was important. He had on the clothes associated with somebody who was a court official, not just a rich merchant. Somebody who was somebody, and it was exotic clothes. He was a foreigner, no question about it. He was somebody from way, way far away. He was a court official of the Candace of Ethiopia. Candace was not a name then. It was the title of the, of the monarch, the queen of Ethiopia. He was so important. He was in charge of all her money. 
all of the treasury. Now that's somebody. The top job in the English cabinet is, aside from the prime minister, the chancellor of the exchequer, the holder of the money, somebody who is really somebody, like Alexander Hamilton and the early American cabinet, somebody who was really important. Why was he there? Why on this road? Well, to understand that, you have to think back a bit. There were a lot of people in those days who were, who were called God-fearers. People who were not, not ancestrally Israelite, but who were attracted to the religion of Israel. They were so impressed by these stories that they heard and stories that they could read of a God of love, a God of compassion, a single God who made everything, not one of many gods squabbling and fighting with each other and pulling pranks on each other, sneaking in and messing up people's lives. One God of love, a God who would rescue people from slavery, a God who would give people dignity in their own place, forgive them when they did things that were wrong. And people said, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that. Some of them became what were called proselytes. They would study to be admitted to Israel as converts, very rare. Others would just go to synagogues and study and learn and try to follow the commands of this God. We don't know whether this particular man was somebody who wanted to be a proselyte or somebody who thought he was, he was his ancestors were Israelite. A lot of people had fled during the time when the Assyrians and the Babylonians were taking over everything and tearing down the temple and casting people out, a lot of people fled to Africa to get safe from there. Maybe even the prophet Jeremiah went to Egypt. We don't know. Maybe those, he was a descendant of one of those. He thought he was Israelite. Maybe he just wanted to be Israelite. Maybe he just wanted to follow that God but he wanted it so much that he was willing to step aside from his official court responsibilities and travel hundreds of miles. Difficult terrain, difficult to travel on the Nile, lots of hippos going after boats, lots of crocodiles. It was dangerous to travel all that way and then across the desert and then through the mountains to get to Jerusalem, the holy city the place with the biggest temple in all the known world. The biggest temple in all the known world. And when he got there, he was aware of this book of Isaiah. He had this book of Isaiah. And in chapter 56, in the book of Isaiah, it says, all of you who are foreigners don't feel rejected. All of you who are, who are eunuchs, who have deformities, who have been injured in various ways, you still will be welcome in my temple. You keep my Sabbaths, you care about my laws, I care about you, I will give you a name, a monument and a name. I will give you descendants, in other words. An arm and a name, literally in Hebrew. I will give you descendants, I will hold you close to my heart. That's the kind of God I want to follow. He says he got there though, and I don't know whether he was unaware of the rules about foreigners in the temple 
or the rules about eunuchs and people with deformities in the temple. But under the official rules in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, somebody who had had a, an arm or a leg or another member chopped off or injured or amputated, somebody who had a deformity of any kind could not draw near in the temple to present a gift. You couldn't come into the temple. Deuteronomy says you could not be admitted to the assembly of Israel if you had any of these deformities or if you were a foreign. You couldn't do it. You couldn't be part of the group. There was a sign found by archaeologists in the temple outside. There was a court for the Gentiles and then an inner court for all Israel, including women. Women on one side, men on the other. And then a special court for just the men of Israel. And then a specialist court of all for just the priests. And one place in the Holy of Holies, only the high priest could go only once a year. But eunuch, never, never. A lot of, a lot of countries used eunuchs for official government business, especially to take care of harems, women, the queen, the queen and the queen's attendants, because they would be safe. They would be safe. Sometimes boys were kidnapped, sometimes slaves from wars or whatever were, were mutilated so that they would not be a threat to women. But they often grew into highly trusted court officials. But they were always separate, always separate. This eunuch was in his chariot riding along. He had gone to Jerusalem probably with a big gift, I'm guessing, but to make his sacrifice before the Lord. They would take the sacrifice, but I'm sorry, you can't come in. Imagine how that would feel. Imagine how it would feel this morning if you went to the back door and Bob, our usher, was standing there and says, I'm sorry, you have curly hair. Curly hair is not appropriate to present before the Lord. You can leave your gift in the plate here. Thank you for that. But I'm sorry, you can't come in. You have a trumpet? Sorry. Play outside. We'll open the window so we can listen to you. But you can't come close to the holy place. Imagine how that would feel. How, even if you think it's wrong, even if you think people are wrong-handed, when somebody says something really mean to you, it hurts. Even if you are somebody really important, and somebody says something mean about you, it really hurts. And he has to have been troubled by this. He's running along, he's reading Isaiah. Isaiah that had promised all these good things. He's reading along, where does it say this? And he reads this passage that we call one of the servant songs. One of the, there's a series of passages in Isaiah where we, we hear them all the time at Easter and at Christmas. That, that talks about the servant of the Lord, chosen my servant, and then talks about how you know, he, was, he was righteous. He didn't do anything wrong, but he was despised and rejected. He was beaten, he was spat upon, he was killed even, and put in a rich person's grave, and even though he had done nothing wrong, he was rejected by everybody. He was despised and rejected, but through his stripes we are healed. You remember that from the Messiah. All these things, these stories, 
He's reading that. And there was a controversy. There's still a controversy among scholars of the Old Testament. Who was Isaiah thinking he was writing about? Was he writing about Israel, despised and rejected by other nations? Was he thinking about the troubles of people in Israel? Was he thinking about himself, rejected by all the people, even though he was, he was doing God's work and saying God's word? Who was he writing about? Was he writing about a future Messiah? Who was he writing about? And so, right then, Philip is walking along and sees him and feels that, that spirit just telling him, go up and talk to that guy. He's troubled. Go up and talk to him. You ever hear stories about that? People will talk about, sometimes I just felt like God was just telling me I should, I should give that person a call. I should give that person a call. She seems lonesome. Or that person's been sick. I wonder how she's doing. I wonder how so-and-so is doing who has lost a husband recently. I'm going to, I should give her a call. And that's what Philip felt right then, is go up and talk to that person. So he comes running up, and he's walking along beside the chariot, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? Not a, not a great opening line, I think. It sounds a little bit presumptuous, don't you think? Are you smart enough to know what you're reading about? <laughs> but he's trying. He's trying. That tells me a couple of things. One of the things that's most exciting about Philip, you start off, is, is that he was always looking for opportunities, even in times of distress. Even in times of distress, he wanted an opportunity to talk about Jesus, to tell the story, to spread the word of what he was about. Make, make the opportunity work. You get chased out of Jerusalem, go to Samaria and talk to people about Jesus there. The authorities start looking for you in Samaria, go south to Gaza and talk to people on the road. You get in trouble in Gaza, go up to Caesarea and talk to people up there. Always look for the opportunity. You see somebody who looks very foreign in a chariot, very official in a chariot, maybe even weird, because he had all these weird clothes and stuff, right? I think it's always funny to read in history books about how people characterize other people in other places as weird. The Greeks always thought the Persians were sissies because they wore pants into battle, not facing battle naked like a man. <laughs> the Persians thought the Greeks were sissies because they didn't wear pants. They went around in little skirts like a girl. The Greeks and Persians both thought the Romans were sissies because they shaved their face just like a eunuch or like a woman so they could look like a woman instead of having a beard like a man. This eunuch must have definitely looked different. Different and strange. Is he going to welcome me? Is he going to be too important to talk to me? Is he going to know anything about me? Is he going to think I'm somebody because I don't have my own chariot? He walks right up to him and says, do you understand what you're reading? Here's where the next miracle happens, because instead of saying, you got a lot of nerve. You think, I don't know what I'm talking about? I've studied this book for years. Of course I know what I'm talking about. Instead, he says, well, how can I without somebody to explain it to me? Which is an invitation to join him in the chariot. Come and sit with me. Let's talk. Let's talk about this. And so he got in the chariot, and they start riding along, and they're talking about it. 
And the, the eunuch asks, he says, tell me, who is the prophet writing about here? Is it about himself or somebody else? Now, just reading between the lines, who do you think he might have been thinking the prophet was talking about? Maybe he's talking about this man. This man who has felt rejected by everybody, though he had done nothing wrong. It wasn't his fault that he had been mistreated as a child, or even maybe as an adult. It wasn't his fault that he was, had a physical deformity. It wasn't his fault that he was different than everybody else. It wasn't his fault that he was there and not part of the regular crowd in Jerusalem, that he was a foreigner. They wouldn't let him in the door, despised and rejected by others, even though he didn't do anything wrong. Who's that prophet writing about? Philip says, let me tell you a story. And he starts telling him a story about somebody else who was despised and rejected by others rejected by the authorities, mistreated for no reason, killed on a cross, died for everybody, and rose up again anyway in spite of all that. That's who the prophet's writing about. It's not just about us, he says, it's about Jesus. It's about every suffering person. Everyone who wants to be a servant of God goes through suffering, but Jesus Christ suffered for all of us, not just suffered. Jesus Christ suffered for everybody. Jesus welcomes everybody. Jesus loves everybody. Remember that old song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He starts with the Bible, he starts showing all these places. Jesus says, love everybody. Jesus says, love your neighbor. Jesus says, the most important commandments of God, the most important, yes, Deuteronomy, yes, Leviticus, the most important ones are in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. In Deuteronomy, it says, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the Leviticus adds, you will love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus puts those together and says, those are the most important commandments. Everything hangs on that. Everything hangs on that. That's what the prophet is writing about. Everything hangs on this love of God and love of others. It's all coming together, don't you see? This is music to this man's ears. Not only because he is not rejected by this guy who is so excited. He's not somebody that this guy turns away from and refuses to sit in the chariot next to him. It's not somebody who says, I'm Jewish and you're not. I'm sorry. I'm part of the company of Israel. You can't be part of the company of Israel. I see as I get closer that you're not one of us. He got right in the chariot with him and talked with him like he was an equal. This is music, and this Jesus seems to love even him. This Jesus makes his life valuable, not just about money, not just about the queen's authority, not just about being in the government. He is loved by God. He says, well, here's the test. There's a body of water, stream, lake, oasis, something. There's a body of water. 
anything to prevent me from being baptized? You talk about his baptism thing, being part of the church. Everyone should be baptized and everyone should be a follower of Jesus. There's some water. Anything to prevent me from being baptized? What do you think he's thinking about? Can't be admitted. Can't be admitted to the assembly of God. Can't be admitted to the close part of the temple. Can't bring your gift near to God because not pure enough, not holy enough, not Israelite enough. And that's the law. That's the law. What do you say to that? Now comes our next part. Philip has already shown, number one, that he looks for opportunities every place. Philip has also shown, number two, that he believes in hospitality everywhere. He has shown hospitality, and he's not even in his own place. Think about that. We always think about hospitality as what we show to others in our own setting, right? You're welcome into my house as a guest. You're welcome into my church as a worshiper, as a guest. Welcome. We'll welcome anybody. Walk in the door. Help them right in. Here's a, here's a bulletin. You come several times. Here's a pledge card. You're one of us. You're welcome here. You can be part of our church. Philip shows hospitality every place, even when it's not his turf. He's in the Ethiopian's turf. He's on his, he's on his chariot. He's far from home. He shows hospitality anyway. He shows this love anyway. Here's the big part. The big part. He's in a real uncertain jam here. He may not even know all the details of the law, but he knows enough to know that you cannot become an Israelite if, you have, if you're a eunuch. You cannot become an Israelite and be admitted into the temple if you are a eunuch. But yet, he's kind of on the stick here. He's on the edge of the, edge of the issue here. As the guy says, you said Jesus calls everybody. You said, Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. You said, Jesus said, go forth and baptize all nations, making disciples and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You said that, right? Anything to prevent me from being baptized? Now, when the questions of these weird rules come up, what do pastors usually want to do? Let's go back to the book and read again. Where's the answer? Where's the answer? Is it in the book of discipline? Is it in the Bible? I can't find out. I'll call the district superintendent. They'll let me know. If the district superintendent doesn't know, they'll call the bishop. The bishop will help. If nobody knows, we can always appeal to the judicial council. Maybe they'll know. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? No way to do that here. No telephone. No cell service. Sorry, no bars. No cell service. Can't call the apostles. They're all back in Jerusalem. The ones who knew Jesus, who said, what would Jesus say here? What would Jesus do? I got the bracelet. What would Jesus do? I don't know. Philip is the hero of the faith because Philip knows what Jesus cares about first, foremost, always, is the great commandment. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Love always trumps everything else. Kindness, 
kindness and justice toward people, caring about people, always is most important. When in doubt, when in uncertainty, when in turf where you don't know what the rules really are in detail, lean on the side of kindness. Lean on the side of compassion and love and generous spirit. Care about the person in front of you first. And so he said, well, sure. And they hop out of the chariot and he baptizes him right then and there. And then he was off to someplace else. Eunuch never saw him again. The Ethiopian never saw that guy again. Never got to say, thank you for changing my life. Thank you for making me part of the congregation. Making me feel like somebody. But it didn't matter. Because he went his way rejoicing. And telling everybody he knew about the love of Jesus Christ. Who came and cared for even him. Even him. So we need to know, as the church, what do we do? We are supposed to be kind first. We are supposed to be hospitable wherever we are. And we are supposed to be seeking opportunities no matter what's going on. August is a hard time for churches. Dog days are not called that for nothing. Only the dogs are still around. Everybody else has left town for vacation. <laughs> you're sitting there and you're going, is everybody coming back? Is everybody coming back? Church is going through difficulty. You must get tired like I do. You're walking in places and say, what church do you belong to us? I'm a United Methodist. They say, oh, I read in the paper your church is having such hard times. I read in the paper how churches are losing attendance everywhere in America. The world is changing. People don't need church anymore. We have Amazon. <laughs> People say, gosh, what will we do? In the old days, if we felt lonely or troubled or sick, we would have a church to fall back on. Now, now in the modern time, we don't have that anymore. We need to work up some other groups. Maybe we'll form a coffee club or something and go to Starbucks and we'll get together. We'll get together there because we, we haven't got churches anymore. And every time I hear that, I go, doggone it, we're still here. <laughs> but it's not enough to say, well, I'll open the doors and let them come on in if they don't ever think of it. We've got to take church every place. We've got to look for opportunities every place we are to share the love of Jesus to be like Philip, looking for those opportunities all the time, even when we're scared, even when we're in trouble, even when I'm worried about that medical report I've got coming, even when I'm worried about my job, even when I am downcast because I have lost a loved one. I still need to be looking for opportunities to share love of Jesus with other people. That's how we are the church in this time. That's how we follow the hero of the faith named Philip. Even if we never heard of him before, even if we never hear of him again, we need to be like that. Thanks be to God for that example.